it's easy to think, well, how can someone be a real expert in this one area of, say, athlete nutrition if she's also doing all of the stuff in that health and wellness space? But we all know that in order to be your best the best athlete you can be, you have to have that foundation of health as well. And so whilst things might seem really removed, they actually are, you know, you just can't separate one from the other. Welcome to the Back in Series show. And here at Team Series Tri Club, it's not just about swim, bike, run. It's about who you become. On our show, we don't just talk to you about swimming, cycling, and running. We talk about mindset. We talk about fearless authenticity and being your very best self. Hi there, Cam here from Team Serious. This week on the show we have Mickey Willardin, PhD, who is a nutritionist, and she chats to us about fueling for performance, Hashimoto's protein intake, and supplementation for vegans and vegetarians. Mickey's also the co-host of the great triathlon podcast, uh, Fitter Radio. So I hope you enjoy it. But we're so excited to have you, Mickey. I'm gonna. I have actually just stalking you again. We're stalking quite regularly when we're on um, on Instagram and Facebook. But I would love to. Um, before everyone jumps on, let's do an amazing intro for this incredible woman. I was introduced to her by Cameron Langsford, who is kind of the glue that holds um, our entire club together. Cam does our marketing. He does our payment system. He does all our advertising. Um, he does everything. But Mickey, um, we're so grateful. We're here that you are one of the top and most renowned. Uh, nutritionalists in New Zealand and specifically for athletes too and you offer a wide range oh you I have to mention you have a PhD as well they are not easy to come by um, I couldn't even finish my exercise science degree but I did do exercise nutrition and I loved it so I, I'm with you there but um, you work from corporate elite level sports people media personalities anyone looking to improve their lifestyles through healthy eating and living and it extends to people experiencing fatigue digestive health reduced energy level, unwanted weight gain, cholesterol and blood sugar dysregulation or general poor health. Um, we're so excited to have you. And Sarah, do you want to add anything to that? I know Siri's really been looking forward to this and she's jumped on, which means she definitely wants to be here because sometimes she's tried to conserve her energy. So <laughs> Yeah, Mickey, we're mm. just so happy to have you here. Um, obviously, our athletes mean the world to us. We want to make sure they're getting the very best information in the world. And we know that you're one of those people that can offer them that. And I'm eager to learn as well. So thank you for being here. It's a, an honor to have you uh, here with us and the team. Oh, it is such a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, you know, when, I, when you get people that kind of read out your bio like that, you're like, God, that person sounds amazing. I'm not. <laughs> However, what, what, but what, what really strikes me actually is, you know, if you think about the things that I've kind of put there is, you know, oh, I deal in this and this and this. Um, and, you know, I also will say like I, I've often thought over the years, you know, maybe I really should just only work with athletes or only work with people with digestive issues or only think about hormones, but I'm just a bit too interested in everything. So um, I like to, um, so that is probably why it seems like I've got this massive like uh, shopping list of things I'm interested in um, and do um, because it is actually, you know, we're all into the day, regardless of what your issues are issues well your needs so these are probably a better description um they should be kind of in that basis of how can we be as optimally healthy as we can i agree 100 and can you tell us how, what made you get into this did you have health issues um i don't know your whole background but what really met draw you to into into starting um you know what you do and like being so experienced at it now like what drew you into that field yeah it's a really good question so i i was probably a lot of us on the call like just obsessed with you know exercise and nutrition in my younger years and um or maybe that isn't maybe that is just me actually it's no, probably it just me um <laughs> and so um and so I, I looked for ways to kind of be able to um initially I was always going to go to university and do my nutrition degree but um I just got a little bit kind of waylaid until probably my third year university and I jumped on to do physical education after that then I needed something to back it up because I realized quite quickly that I did not want to be a personal trainer so that's where um nutrition kind of came in and and I think it's in 
I suppose with regards to the athlete side of things, it's because I am a runner and have been a runner since my like late teens that you just attract like, like attracts like, right? So if you're a nutritionist and you have an interest in the sports, et cetera, then you'll get other athletes going, well, she might know a little bit of, you know, what she's talking about. Um, but what I will say is despite going through that traditional kind of the, the science degree in nutrition and working in that space along the, I suppose, more conventional um, nutrition, sport nutrition guidelines, it, I really had a, a, a change in my approach. Maybe, I think it was about 10 years ago now, where I was, you know, you got these uh, guidelines for carbohydrate and particularly my female athletes none of them would shift weight all of them would have GI issues and so so it was almost not a joke but it was kind of like oh yeah you're sitting up here lecturing you're talking about these sports nutrition guidelines but then you and your colleagues are going hey if I ever put my female athletes on them you know they're just bomb um so I suppose it was that I had this almost kind of epiphany in relation to work-related stuff as well, that, you know, what you see, you've got guidelines as evidence, if I can, and those guidelines backed up by randomized controlled clinical trials and, and that in <clears throat> the laboratory setting, but how does that actually relate to practice? And what is my, is the, as what influenced me changed, I realized that, that, you know, they didn't always have this like real happy kind of integration of, of best case scenario. And in fact, your, well, evidence from that kind of science perspective can help inform on mechanisms and, and certainly can, can tell you a lot. It doesn't tell you what happens with the individual. And so I kind of delved into the space of that kind of more minimally processed, um, a lower carb, a strategic carb approach, a really focusing on that health aspect. Um, so yeah, it's been, an, it's, it's a journey, you know, it's an evolution and things are constantly changing. And I, and you guys will know this, I'm sure, because it's the same with coaching. Like you do things a certain way and then you figure out that, and then you find new information, you're like, okay. And so you kind of, you, you shift what your approach is. And some people can be quite um, suspicious of people that are constantly zigging and zagging. But I think it just shows that, you know, you have to keep an open mind when it comes to your approach, particularly when you're working with individuals. Definitely. And there's so much new information coming in with like, we have a really holistic, like a functional medicine almost approach to everything. And obviously with series um, being in remission now, like we've even been more aware of just food and, and how that, how you have to fuel your body so well and be so careful. But I would, I have so many questions, but I'm not going to hold the conversation because I could literally be here for three hours. I'm thinking all these things I want to ask, but I'm going to bring it back to the team because our amazing Mary Carmen Farish is one of our head coaches. She's from Mexico and she has collected a lot of questions. I know you've got a men see, or I have them too on Facebook. If you want MC to go through any of those or if you want me to, but we have so many questions. So we're going to try not to hog too much of your time either me because I had to call you Mickey. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> um, because we're just so grateful to have you here. We know how busy you are. So MC, do you want me to do the Facebook questions? You don't go through them first and then we can go to these guys that are live as well. I have them. I actually screenshotted them. So you're amazing. <laughs> we can, we can go over them. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. And we're so excited to have you. Uh, it's always good to learn different points of view about nutrition and all that stuff. Because like you said, everything changes so much <laughs> that it's like, okay, what's going on right now? <laughs> yeah. So the first MC is, our, is kind of our go-to nutritionist right now for the team. She's been amazing. Huh? So first question, um, what's your opinion on intermittent, intermittent fasting when you are training? Is it doable or will it hurt performance while training on an empty stomach? Yeah, that's a great question. And it all really comes back to kind of context and also what the what the overall goal of the athlete is. So if you are an athlete and one of your goals is to improve your body composition because you recognize that 
um, carrying additional body fat is actually limiting your performance, then that's where looking at techniques to help improve the body composition is really important and intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating can really play a role in that because it's not always necessarily about um, reducing down food intake so much as it might be about um, uh, looking at the distribution of that food intake and, and kind of shortening that eating window. We know from a research point, that, um, and this is in a sedentary population, that um, even shortening down the eating window whilst keeping calories the same can help improve muscle mass um, and help, you know, drop down the insulin response um, and drop down um, the middle. It really depends on the type of athlete that, that we're talking about and, as I said, their goals. But, of course, you know... You guys are triathletes, you guys, you train, even your kind of, you know, base training or light training, it's still a lot of hours out there. And one of the problems with triathletes uh, is that you're type A. Do you see how I don't put myself in that? But, <laughs> you know, like, it's like if something works, then I might want to do it hard or harder or faster or longer. And so it's um, making sure that you're utilizing that TRE approach in a really appropriate way. For an athlete then, you'd want to look at, certainly I think across the board from a health perspective, eating within a maximum 12 hours a day, regardless, should be your prime um, uh, kind of focus. And that's regardless of whether you're really happy with the composition or whether you, you, know, you might have to shift things up. Um, uh, because we know that poor metabolic health can be the outcome if you eat and extend beyond that. Of course, everyone is different and your needs might be different, but that's a general rule. And then if you wanted to put in some additional um, time-restricted eating, it might be that on a lighter or a recovery day, you can kind of pull that in a little bit to say 10 hours and have a 14-hour kind of um, window. I really hesitate. I don't know that there's a place for a 16-8 protocol in a triathlete's regime. Again, it depends on, on your training. Um, because then you do run the risk of, um, of one, putting yourself in a block hole because it's just you unintentionally will completely under eat calories and you do need calories. Um, and you minimize the opportunity to take on board nutrients. And you know, like your body needs nutrients. So, yeah, that's that. So you can see that it just really comes down to the to athlete and their goals. Um, yeah. Awesome. awesome. I think that's a that's a great answer. And I love what you said, you know, if it were a priority that the athlete decided that they really needed to do this in order to increase their performance, then I there's like a time and a place to do that. And that would probably be, you know, when you're in your, you know, off season training where you're still yeah. being active but you're not in that hard race training. Um so yeah. I love that idea. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Awesome. All right, MC, do you have the next question? I can go with you on this so you yes. don't lose place. Thank you. So the next question, um, I'm a little bit confused about this question, but maybe there is a thing oh. about different nutrition for elevation, but it says, what are the best foods or drinks for going from low elevation to high elevation for a few days of hard training, racing, and vice versa? Mm, great question. And no, you that I think I get what, what we're talking about here. So I'm imagining we're talking about altitude and like training and racing at altitude. And um, so your glycogen or your muscle carbohydrate stores are going to be um, utilized far uh, far more readily when we when we go up at high altitude. So even if you are a lower carb athlete, I think that there is scope to to um, make sure that you increase your carbohydrate intake from really good sources like sweet potato, um, like fruit depends on the person, you know yams things like that, um, because these also provide nutrients, whereas, say, just normal bread wouldn't provide the, the same nutrient and profile. But incorporating more carbohydrate, I think, would be key because the intensity increases because the stress on the system at high altitude is going to be greater. 
Um, so certainly thinking about carbohydrate intake. Um, and if you are a lower carb athlete or you're in some fat adaptation phase, it's all about carb timing. So I, I just wouldn't panic about this idea that suddenly you're bumping up your carbs where you weren't otherwise, like, again, it comes down to what you're trying to achieve. Um, but also iron as well is really important. And so um, including iron rich foods. Now, um, We've got, and I'm sure you are aware of this, but there are plant-based sources of iron and there are animal-based sources of iron. The animal-based sources are much more bioavailable and you can utilize about 20% of the iron that you find in those um, animal-based sources compared to just 2% that you find physical, particularly for vegetarian athletes to, um, to be even more mindful of, say, supplementing with an iron-based iron supplement and vitamin C to help improve the absorption of that, um, than say an omnivore athlete. But even still, you need more iron-rich um, foods because you have an increased production of, you know, red blood cells, etc. So. Uh, and it's not just kind of red meat, it's things like uh, pate, uh, liver, um, uh, mussels and oysters. I don't know too many people who would sit down to like a dozen oysters, but, you know, on, you know, on every night occasion, but, you know, these are the richest kind of iron-based foods. Um, and, excuse me, and it is actually recommended that if you know you're going to be having periods of time where you are at high altitude, to in fact supplement, excuse me, um, regardless, um, because um, your body will only, um, it'll only be beneficial for you. And with iron supplementation, it, timing is critical. And um, so you want to supplement every second day as opposed to every day because your receptors don't respond as well in the body. So it needs a little bit of a break. So it's kind of like pulse therapy. So iron every second day. And in terms of when to take it, you want to take it in the morning, no more than say an hour after training. And this is because there's an enzyme in the gut called hepcidin and it rises in response to training and hepcidin will bind iron and will prevent you from being able to absorb it. So it sounds pretty particular, eh? Um, you know, every second day, an hour after training in the morning, um, but it kind of is. So those are um, two that immediately spring to mind. That's amazing. And Ben asked that, and Ben's on. So Benny, did that help you at all? Do you have anything else you want to add to that? Because I know this is one of your questions. No, that's absolutely perfect. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I actually have a question, um, and I'm sorry if you said that and I, um, I got a little bit distracted, but uh, did you talk about protein at all, like in terms of like, um, you know, this within the same question and altitude, um, you know, just in terms of recovery, or is that something that you mm. might focus on? Uh, I'm a massive advocate of protein anyway, um, and certainly it's it's critical for obviously recovery, but also you know appetite regulation, focus, concentration, um, hormones and enzymes and, and things like that. And um, but from a you know if I'm thinking about um, athletes that I work with, I suppose that, you know what, it's my bias because we're already focusing on protein. I don't really think about it in terms of oh and in addition, you need to boost protein because of this. I haven't seen any literature actually that would suggest that protein requirements are higher um, than what I would otherwise recommend. Um, but if you know something, MC, then absolutely. Like, is there anything you'd want to add? No, I was asking because. Okay. I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. No, that's a that's a great question. And what I, you know, there is a potential, of course, because of the additional stress. You know, there's an additional metabolic cost. Training is catabolic, so I think that 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 is such a good point that you raise, and that that real focus on recovery should be a thing anyway for any athlete that is undergoing a heavy training load. Um, but certainly um, in that um, when there's environmental stress. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we have another question by Patrice. Patrice, do you want to ask that since yeah. you're here? Let's let her. Okay. Um, I, you know, there's so much now after the movie Game Changers mm. and a total plant-based diet. And I 
I was wondering what you thought, especially for endurance athletes. Yeah. That, you, you know, know just totally plant-based. Yep, that is such a great question. And I think that if there is someone who is, you know, if that's their preference, that they would like to be fully plant-based um, and they feel like they thrive on that approach, then um, that's awesome. What we need to be mindful of, though, are a few things, is that protein requirements will increase because your body doesn't use that It's not as bioavailable as it is from animal protein. So protein needs will increase by about 30%. Um, and then there's also nutrients. So we know, obviously, I just talked about iron. B12 isn't available in any plant-based sources. Um, you will find B12 in some plant-based sources, but it's in a form that will block our body's ability to utilize our own B12. So you cannot rely on plant-based sources of B12. Uh, there is also zinc um, is essential vitamin A. Whilst there is the precursor to vitamin A, beta carotene, in an array of like vegetables, etc., um, the ability to convert that to what we need, which is retinol, um, is um, it's not that great. So taking a vitamin A supplement is also recommended. Um, and then you've got your zoo nutrients, zoo nutrients is what they're called, like you know creatine, um, uh, which you only find in meat-based products. Uh, there are others, and it's just totally escaping me. I'm so sorry. So, so I guess what I'm getting at is that if if you wish to be a plant-based athlete, that's awesome. You just need to ensure that you're getting adequate nutrients from what you're eliminating eliminating when you eliminate that animal protein. What I will also say is that that Game Changers movie um, was really well funded. And it was really well made and it was super compelling and it was not based in science. And so I, I would, agree. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that, you know, and it's really challenging for me as a nutritionist who is an advocate for um, an omnivore approach um, in general, but also recognizing there are individual differences, but it's a hard space to be in when you're an advocate for, for animal being really in this, when there is, all of the voices telling us um, not. And anyone who is, you know, unsure about the whole meat thing from an environmental or animal health um, perspective, or you know, is there a better way to do things? I'd really recommend checking out uh, Diana Rogers, who is a registered dietitian state. Um, she's a book called The Sacred Cow, and it's just been released actually in July. Her and Rob Wolf, who um, in, someone might know from um, the Paleo Solution books, uh, but it's you know it's just good information. So I really recommend. And there is a movie coming out um, called The Sacred Cow as well. Just wasn't as well funded, so it's just taking its time to come out. Yeah, no, great, thank you. Because there's so many things that are not addressed that people don't realize. I know, yeah. And, you know, from a body composition perspective, it is so much more challenging from, uh, for a vegetarian athlete to maintain a good body composition, one, because of the ability to gain muscle mass, but also do it in the sense of a load more calories. Because in order to get the protein you need, you actually have to eat a whole a ton more calories um, get that 30, at least 30 grams of protein in each meal. So you might have to eat like six cups of quinoa to get that 30 grams of protein, which is about 600 calories, yeah. compared to say 150 calories that you might find in a chicken breast to supply the same thing. So, and I know it's not all about calories, but it, and actually for some athletes, it is about calories. That's, that's so interesting. Can I add, because um, I know there was another question that kind of relates to this. Um, what kind of foods do you suggest for vegans that help with iron and protein? I know you mentioned quinoa, but what are some other um, high protein sources? Yeah, great question, Suri. So um, from a whole food perspective, one of the, the the best sources of protein would be um, would be organic, ideally, uh, because it will contain the nine essential amino acids that um, just readily come in the animal protein. Although bearing in mind that your protein requirements will increase by about thirty percent. So, if for example the 
you were on say 100 grams of tofu which actually is pretty low you'd want to bump that up to say 130 if I did my maths correctly um, so certainly um, tofu edamame beans obviously is well tofu yep so tofu um, the edamame beans obviously incorporate them is the important do you know, you actually, as an athlete, you'll need to get on a protein powder. And actually, I recommend protein powder for most of my athletes, to be honest, um, because it is very challenging outside of the tofu. Or tempeh is another one, which is fermented tofu, um, to get your, your protein requirements. And I know that there are a lot of other um, vegetarian um, products out there. So you'll get vegetarian sausages and you'll get the the corns but with a q-u-o-r-n and you'll get um this thing called setin s-e-i-t-i-n as i think how you spell it which is like a wheat-based protein um you'll get a bunch and the impossible burger but they're really highly processed and actually they are junk food so and if you are wanting to put the best fuel in your body to kind of nourish yourself then i would stick to those minimally processed Bearing in mind, of course, protein powder is completely processed. Yeah. But, um, I but you the protein powder because there's so yeah. much out there in some of soy based, whey, whey, da da da, and we get so many different stories. Like, what's your theory on like trying to choose a good protein powder? We, we work with F2C Nutrition, but what's your views on on protein powders? Yeah. So I um, I tell people to look at the ingredient list. And you want one with the minimal amount of ingredients. So whey protein isolate will is it's dairy based, obviously, because it's whey, but it is stripped of casein protein, which is the potentially inflammatory protein. So for people who who tolerate dairy and or who tolerate whey, that is gonna be the best bang for your buck um, because it has the the branched chain amino acids leucine, isoleucine, valine, which helps stimulate muscle protein synthesis and with that kind of repair and recovery of musculoskeletal tissue. Um, but you don't want it with all of the fillers and all of the additives. Like I remember when I was 20, I used to be on the, you know, the body for life stuff was all over that. If you, anyone remembers Bill Phillips um, and he had this like EAS protein powder and you'd stick like a scoop of it in water and it would puff up like ice cream. It was amazing. Um, something seriously wrong with that though. So all of the fillers and the additives and the sweeteners, um, it was delicious, but probably not the best thing to be having. Um, so you want the minimum, the, the least amount of ingredients. And so either it would be an unflavored protein powder or it would have, say, uh, vanilla bean, stevia, or thormatin, or allulose as a sugar alternative. Maybe xylitol or erythritol would, would play a, a role there. But ideally, you know, not the ones with sucralose or, or other of those really artificial sweeteners. And this is just my, you know, if you've got a pretty decent protein powder, it's got three or four ingredients and one of them is sucralose. Like, I don't think that that is, that's not going to be the make or break of your athletic career or your health. But, you know, if you're looking to choose something that's a little bit better, um, those are the things that I look for in an ingredient list. Of course, you know, if you don't tolerate dairy, the, the pea protein and potentially a pea that is blended with a rice-based protein. So you've got that... A complete amino acid profile. Um, I would look for that. Uh, and I would steer clear of soy protein actually, just because whole based soy like tofu, edamame beans, minimally processed, it incorporates phytoestrogens. Um, that is not really, as we understand it, an issue from a health perspective. The real issue is that soy is a cheap protein filler and it is in so many of our packaged food products that um, that um, it's, you know, it, it's suggested not to be ideal for health. You know, it, the, the research is quite mixed, but your best bet is to, is to from a protein um, powder perspective, go for the, um, I would say the pea or the rice. And I see that someone just, I popped up in the chat about Airborne. I think that the Airborne products, I'm so sorry, as I understand it, have about a gazillion ingredients. And um, to the chagrin of all my lovely friends who sell it, I'm like, mm, I'm not as much of a fan of that. But again, you know, this is just, that's my opinion. And so someone else might give you a, an alternative and that's sweet. 
That's amazing. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. I'm taking more. I'm good. I think everybody is. <laughs> I'm good. So now that we're talking about protein, I personally actually have two questions. Um, so the first one is, um, what are your thoughts on collagen? And then what are your thoughts um, on taking BCAAs uh, in training and racing? Because uh, I know that a lot of us athletes are just used to taking carbohydrates and mm. it's a little bit harder to digest. So, you know, that's why a lot of people are hesitant. But what are your thoughts about BCAAs? And I guess there's this controversy between BCAAs and EAAs. Like what, mm. what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question. Um, so first of all, collagen. Uh, collagen is, it contains conditionally essential amino acids. So we can produce glycine ourselves, but under periods of stress or in, uh, with diets that might not, um, no, I'll just say under periods of stress, we may need a little more than what our body can produce. And so that's glycine and also proline as well. Having said that though, you know, we, people aren't very good at eating nose to tail anymore. And that when you eat nose to tail in terms of um, animal protein, you're getting in a lot of the um, collagen that you would get from kind of food-based sources when you say slow cook a joint of meat and then the connective tissue and stuff that the meat is attached to the bone that it um, cooks down and you're able to kind of consume it and you're getting in that um, protein source. So, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the amino acid source, which is protein. Um, so I think people aren't as good at actually getting dietary collagen. So a supplement can be a great idea. Now, now, if you if you do like gnaw on chicken bones, I do that. Um, or you or the kind of gelatinous parts of meat, or you or you eat chicken skin, um, then they will contain appreciable amounts of collagen. Uh, um, and also, yeah. So so the other thing is, is if you eat sardines with the little bones or salmon with the bones in, again, you're getting in some collagen. Um, if you don't, I would take a collagen, I would probably take a collagen supplement. And we do know from a research perspective that if you are an injured athlete, having collagen and vitamin C together um, helps accelerate that healing of, of that injured um, area. So it might be a sprain or a tear, or it might even be like a break. And there is actually a, a particular protocol associated with it that was developed by AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport, I, I believe, and also um, some researchers out of, I want to say Loughborough University or similar, Keith Barr and his research group. Um, I wrote a blog about it actually. Um, and so if you Googled injury prone read this, um, you would see kind of the details of it, 15 grams of collagen, 50 milligrams of vitamin C, an hour before doing exercises in and around that, um, that injured area. Because oftentimes with joint injuries and stuff, there's not a lot of blood flow, and so injury can be impaired. So by taking the collagen with the vitamin C, waiting an hour for those amino acids to hit the bloodstream, and then doing some activity in and around that injured area to direct that blood flow, it's going to help enhance um, uh, recovery. And they've seen it in actual in case studies as well as in that kind of um, laboratory setting. So collagen would be something I would incorporate for my athletes, but don't go thinking it's equivalent to your protein powders because it's not. It doesn't contain those branch chain amino acids, which was your next question. So it's always in addition to rather than instead of. When it comes to branch chain amino acids, I'm definitely a fan. Um, and my, actually for myself, like I've always sort of talked about it, but now I'm totally doing it for the last couple of months. Every, after every training session, I'm having some Muscle Farm Natural BCAAs in my drink bottle. One, it helps me drink, actually, so it helps with my hydration. Um, but I really notice an improvement in recovery. And it's, it, it's not that it helps, well, it does help with muscle protein synthesis, but more it helps preserve muscle and bone. And so you're not breaking down, you're not as catabolic. So I would recommend um, certainly um, post-exercise session having some BCAAs 
and and also for my athletes i do recommend as an alternative to glucose um in or the same amount of glucose that you chuck bcaa's in your drink bottle when you're on a long run um, and you, have, you consume it at around five grams an hour or so because excuse me branch chain help help by the nervous system with fuel and we know that when we when we know well, some studies have shown that if we look at cyclists that they bonk and they're not bonking because they're low in glycogen or low in muscle carbohydrate stores they're bonking because their brain has run out of fuel so any way that you can help supply that fuel source to the brain is hopefully going to help preserve performance across that training cycle um, and it's funny, um, MC, you say the controversy between essential amino acids versus branch chain amino acids. And I don't know that it's necessarily a, a, a controversy, but I do, I, I understand, you know, there are, um, it's not just BCAAs we're burning up when we're out there training. It is, you know, all amino acids. So I would say it comes down to um, what you've got on hand. And I know that not everyone will agree with that, but if you have, um, you know, an adequate protein um, in your diet and it's from a variety of sources, then um, maybe just stick to the BCAAs. But whichever one you choose, you want to make sure that you've got um, a ratio of 2-1-1 to um, leucine, isoleucine and valine. So you want double the amount of leucine that you do to the um, uh, Isoleucine and bailing. That was incredible. Thank you so much. Unreal. That was oh, pleasure. Dan, where are you, Dan the man? Dan is our amazing yoga teacher. He's an amazing athlete too. So, Danny boy, thank you. You want to ask your question? I think you should ask it personally to this amazing lady. All right, absolutely, Mickey. Thanks so much for your time today. I really, I know all of us appreciate it. We're so grateful to have you with us. It's just like, awesome. oh gosh, like part of me is always like. Can I just have your autograph? Like, I want to. Like, I know this person. So thank you for your information, and everything. Absolutely love you guys. Um, so my what? question has to do with uh, Hashimoto's and uh, mm -hmm. hypothyroid because I have both of those conditions. And yeah. along with that, as we increase our strength, our our stress levels due to training, mm. how do yeah. we combat that so that our liver function doesn't completely go in the tank? Yeah, that's a great question, um, Dan. And to my mind, it's all about, so obviously you need to protect your thyroid function. And I assume that you're on some, you know, medication for that right. as well. Right. Yep, cool. Um, but from a, a nutrient standpoint, or from a diet standpoint, as much as you can, you want to remove the inflammatory triggers from your diet. Because anything that's going to spark a um, inflammatory reaction um, is going to is going to also likely spark a, an immune reaction as well. And so with any kind of overactive immune system, you want to do things which help dampen it down. And that's, that's one of the critical things. And everyone is different as to what might boost their antibodies up. And so um, it can, if you, and I don't doubt that you've probably dialed in your diet already, but if you, you're struggling with it, then certainly removal of dairy, removal of gluten, um, removal of alcohol, um, are three of the main things and also the added sugar. And when I say added sugar, I don't just mean, you know, table sugar. I'm thinking from all sources. So, you know, dates, um, coconut sugar, maple, honey, you know, they, these may well be problematic or not, just depends on, on who you are. And in terms of nutrients to support the immune system, I think that's another really important um, aspect of this. So um, having, um, ensuring that you've got um, uh, vitamin, that your vitamin D status is good and, you know, it's summer for you over there. So you're, I assume you're in the state somewhere. So, you know, I'm sure that that's, you know, that's no issue for you right now, but do regularly check that if you can, because that's an essential part of overall immune kind of health. Um, and also, if I think particularly about the thyroid, you're um, making sure that your selenium and your iodine, um, your iron intake, uh, your B vitamins, B12, that these are 
for um, for you as well. And so incorporating those food choices that I spoke about earlier, um, but also things like seaweed and kelp um, that can be helpful in, you know, uh, wakamame, uh, I'm going to say wakamame, I don't even know if that's what I call it, um, but, you know, uh, sea, seaweed salt and, and dulse flakes and things like that, they can be super helpful, but also, you know, seafood. Um, not a lot of iodine in nori sheets. I love a nori sheet though. Um, and, but also gut health. So the whole thing, you know, 70%, I always say 90, but I think it might only be 70% of your immune system is housed in your gut. And so the more that you look after your gut, the more appropriate your immune um, response will be. So the collagen that we spoke of, ensuring um, adequate protein for sure, all of those other things that I just talked about, also important. Um, so those are just some things off the top of my head. There are probably a lot more, but. You're amazing. This is amazing. amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so, so much. I love it. And, and my sister has uh, Hashimoto's too, and she was told, um, Mickey, not to waste too much time on the subject, but she was told yeah, yeah. she can't reverse it. But I, I said to her, like, you just need a good functional medicine or holistic approach, a doctor that can can help restore her gut and her microbiome. And we haven't really talked about that. I know a lot of nutritionists, so when we talk about microbiome, but um, yeah, yeah. I feel like a lot of hers is related, as you said, like to leaky gut or some sort of gut issues. What's your yeah. thoughts there on like chronic disease and how it's linked to, to leaky gut syndrome? Or um, can you explain a little bit about that to our athletes that don't know? I know a lot of us probably do, but what, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? And you know, some of the, the chronic inflammation and disease that's caused by the imbalances in your, in your microbiome and your gut and stuff. Oh, totally, Bex. And you've really just like hit the nail on the head with regards to the inflammatory process that can occur when you when your gut is under distress, right? And we think about it as a nutritionist, I think diet, but there are so many factors that impact on the gut outside of just diet. It's you know, it's the from a from an athlete perspective, it's that training stress. Every time you go out, particularly running at above like sixty percent VO two max, you're placing your gut under stress. Um, You've got the lack of, you've got the environmental toxins, you've got lack of sleep, you've got emotional stress. It all will impact on your body stress response in the same way. And stress over time reduces the production of stomach acid. Um, and then that can start and also break down those tight junctures in your gut that is responsible for allowing nutrients through. And so they need to open when you eat to allow the nutrients through to your bloodstream, etc. But if you're if over time if these are being um degraded, then they don't quite shut quite so well. And then that's when you start letting those kind of um uh, food-based proteins and stuff into your system, sparking an immune response, which then can result in an overactive um, immune system and immune response. And the problem is, it's like with um, Hashimoto's, for example, is that your body looks at certain food proteins and starts attacking them because they are foreign, but then it starts to get confused and starts attacking its own tissue. And that's the I've heard it described before that your thyroid tissue looks a lot like a, a foreign antibody, particularly gluten. Um, so um, gluten, that's, that's, I don't even know that I said that, Dan, but I'm sure you are, I'm sure you're aware, but gluten is one of the most problematic kind of food proteins um, with autoimmune conditions. Um, and it's that attack of your own tissue that really causes the problem. And then once your immune system starts firing, then you have to then can start firing on all cylinders and that's not a good thing and then that's one of the reasons why autoimmune issues cluster so someone might start with Hashimoto's then they may develop celiac disease they may you know all of these other things as well so vague all of these other things um so and if we think about that chronic disease and so outside of autoimmune conditions we think about um you know type 2 type 2, let's say type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, neurological conditions, they all have their basis in that inflammatory response. So anything that, that um, increases inflammation and doesn't allow for inflammation to turn off is going to progress those types of conditions. Because inflammation is a really necessary part of our immune response, but it's that chronic underlying um, inflammation which degrades our gut health.
So I, I agree, Bex. I think that, you know, working on that, um, the gut health aspect and depending on who you are and, and what would trigger you as an individual, because we're all different. And also there's a genetic basis there as well. Um, will that'll change some, that'll kind of nuance the approach a little bit. But some of those things that I discussed, Dan, with your question, are sort of across the board, really, um, I would say. Awesome. Amazing. And I, I kind of treated myself for, I felt, I self-diagnosed myself with leaky gut. I'll try and be quick because I had such cerebral tell you my pain get. It was really weird timing. It would be when I was really hungry. I hadn't eaten for a long period of time. The cramping was so bad that it would put me in bed mm. and I don't talk about it much. And I was like, I am so done with this pain. And I know MC had been through the same thing. And that's when I started to listen to the Chris Cresser and the functional medicine approach. Mm. And I was like, it's my gut. It's from all this crap that I ate when I was racing, the heat, the condition, the body stress. I think most triathletes or most people have some sort of gut distress or some sort of like issues with their tummy. And I had to actually do a complete like three month gut reset i did a guy in boulder who's a functional medicine doctor did it and it was um it completely healed myself and i had to do it because i was at the point where i was in so much pain i, I can't handle, handle it anymore and i i thought i had cancer in my stomach but it ended up just being like a really um imbalance in my microbiome in my stomach i did a whole reset and i'm yeah, i'm so thankful for you and people that, that that guide people with these issues because i would never want it to go any further so thanks thanks for that nikki it's very important mate and it's you know it's that um that you hear that quite a bit and it's it's well quite a bit no you don't because people think it's a um it's an inevitable part of being an athlete is to experience kind of gut issues as well and particularly in light of you know we're told we have to eat within 30 minutes of starting training and then within 30 minutes of finishing training and a lot of the gut distress happens because you're not only is your gut like when you are training all the blood flow is diverted from your gut to your muscles and then there's this period of time post-training where it all kind of reverses and goes back to the gut, but it also brings with it these inflammatory cytokines and, and all these other things which are necessary for healing, but can just ramp up that inflammation and oxidative stress so much more. Um, there are some simple things that you can do and anything that I've learned, I mean, Bex, you talk about Chris Cresser, amazing. You know, like I, the, the reason I know so much is because I too listen to people like Chris Cresser and Rob Wolf and, and, and a whole host of other kind of, uh, Dr. Michael Ruscio is another one. And, you know, like, they're amazing and their techniques are amazing. And so a lot of my blog contents and um, the things that I talk about is because I, I listen to those guys as well. Um, but, you know, whilst there are periods of time where stress will be higher and your body will respond in that way, um, it doesn't have to be this inevitable part of training for you to experience gut issues, even if it is just like, you know, a poo in a tree in a bush as you're going out like that, you know, it might happen, but it's not necessarily ideal. And, you know, you might be able to do something about that, even if it's not that real chronic issue that you spoke about. Awesome. Thank you. I'm glad we're both fans of Chris Cresser. Can we, this question here, how are you going for time, Mickey? We don't want to take too much of your time because we know it's oh, I'm late. still good. How about one more question? Okay. okay. Um, so Vanessa's actually, um, uh, she is a, She's a world champion uh, medalist too for her age. She's a very amazing athlete, national champion, mm. and she's um, she's doing so well this year. She's asking um, for female athletes: Are there any daily supplement vitamins that you would recommend we take during training? We kind of touched on the BCAAs, but and, and the iron. But what else? Yeah, um, some so BCAAs, iron. Regardless of male or female, I would say magnesium is critical, and I'm sure that everyone here probably takes a magnesium supplement um, as well. Um, zinc is another one, actually. You know, it's often kind of overlooked, but it's an important, and this is one I should have mentioned on Dan's question as well with gut resiliency and stuff, and also stomach acid um, production. We need an adequate amount of zinc for that. Um, it, do you know, it is really. It, it is individual, I say, different person, but you you know you just don't get what you used to be able to get from food, and so those are so 
because we've already mentioned BCAAs and iron, I would say probably the zinc and the magnesium would be the two other ones. Um, and then it would be kind of individual and not necessarily because you're a female or because you're a male, but just because of your individual requirements. We're going to let you go now. We see the more questions, but we're so grateful. And Mickey, we'd love to make you an honorary guest member, a VIP member of our triathlon club. We'd like to join our Facebook group and be have access to all our club discounts and everything. We'd love to have you if you if you can if you can handle our athletes bombarding you questions on the group. You're welcome to ignore them. <laughs> That'd be amazing to to have you in our team. Oh, mate, that would be amazing. I love community and oh, particularly yeah. athlete community. Like, who doesn't, you know? So I would just be honoured to be an honorary member, particularly because I'm not even a triathlete, you know? <laughs> but I'm a runner. That's I love to great. run. That's awesome. That We're works. a triathlete. We're all family. We have 350 members on our group. So thank you, Mickey. That would be amazing. Pleasure. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, this was, this was just I all. Think. It really was. So Thank you oh, for all your sharing your brilliance with us um, and to the team. Thanks for being here. Mary Carmen, thank you for your help with this, Becky. Um, thank you, Mickey. And we look forward to having you in our lives now forevermore. Oh, yay. Oh, well, yay. Also, thank you, you so much. You have your website on our group, but could you type in your website? Because I'm sure there's people yeah. who are going to want to do, you know, a console or something thank like you that. So much. Could you type in your website for us so it's there? Sure thing. Yeah, you're Wikibulletin.com. I'm super active on Instagram and okay. also on Facebook and the little stories kind of icon. Okay. And um, and just before I go, I know there's a man in here and I can't, he's got his, um, he's got iPhone as opposed to his actual name, but he looks like he's got blue light blocking glasses on. And I just think that's so on point with what you need to be doing. It might oh, not there, even be, it might just there. be sunnies. Is that there? Because I think the thing is, one thing I'll just finish off with is that you know it comes back to what we I kind of opened with is that it comes down back to health you know and diet is definitely one aspect of it but you cannot kind of eat your way out of really poor habits around devices around lack of sleep around overtraining and things like that so um, and oftentimes people think because diet is so tangible, it's the one thing they can they can kind of hook onto and change, and that should be able to change everything. That's not always the case as well. So, but I know that you guys are all up to it, so um, it's important. So that's all good. Anyway, thanks so much for having me, team, and uh, look forward to seeing you on Facebook. Yay! Awesome. Thank you, Vicky. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, everyone. We love you. We love you. Hi there, Cam Merrigan. Thanks very much, Mickey. Uh, Mickey's been kind enough to offer our listeners a special discount on her online nutrition plans. So if you use the code BECKANDSURI15, that's all in caps, BECKANDSURI15, on Mickey's website, which is mickeywillardin.com. I'll put all this in the show notes. Uh, you'll get 15% off any of her online memberships and uh, nutrition plans. Uh, if you're a Team Serious member, can actually get 25% off so if you want to join as a member you can go to teamseriestriclub.com and if you're already a member just jump onto the uh, app and mickey's discount code will be there under um, discounts uh, so thanks again mickey and we'll see you all again next week